really grateful, and, and we do really want you to feel welcome here this morning in this place, and mostly we want you to feel the Lord's goodness and, and favor here, and um, to the degree that we just need to get out of the way so that can happen, we, we want to do that too, so welcome, welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3, we've been going through this epistle, and I, it's been an encouragement, it's been a challenge to kind of make our way all the way through this, but we're at, we're at the halfway mark, so that's a good thing, and um, <clears throat> I think we'll be able to wrap up the series before we start our Advent um, focus and ministry at the end of November. So um, thank you for being patient, and thank you for being faithful to the ministry of the Word of God and participating in our times of corporate worship. We saw how Peter is so passionate for these believers that they have a genuine experience in Christ, especially when they're struggling. They're discouraged because they're feeling the press of rejection. They're, they're feeling like aliens and foreigners because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I know that there are people right even here that have said that. You know, they've said, listen, we don't feel like we fit in. We're, we're trying to follow after Christ. We're on a college campus. We're in a, a place of business. We're in a relationship with friends that we kind of grew up with. And now that we've kind of claim Christ, it, 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 it's a challenge because we feel like this. I feel like I'm an alien. If I follow what God says, in other words, if I do what Jesus is asking me to do and, and go where Jesus is asking me to go and, and have the attitudes that Jesus is asking me to have, it's, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. I might lose some friends. I might lose some favor with people. I, it might even put me in a, in a tough spot with one of my professors, or maybe I, I have to make some decisions that, you know, don't make a lot of sense to my family or people closest to me, it's going to cost me. And, and, and Peter is saying, yes, I know. It's part of it. Jesus felt that and so much more. And that's where he goes today. That's what we're going to look at in this passage. The immense model for all of our living is Jesus. He is our example, the glorious Jesus. This, this is the sentiment of the Apostle Peter and all the apostles, really, because they were so apprehended by him. Once kind of floundering, a little flabby, a little undisciplined, distracted, easily kind of taken away by other things, weak, always kind of operating out of their own experience and kind of their own resources. But once, once apprehended by the powerful, compelling living, glorious person of Jesus Christ, everything changed and they became such advocates for a life that follows after him in every aspect, every aspect. No matter the culture, these, these exhortations, these teachings, these proclamations from these individuals that were so apprehended by Jesus transcend time, they transcend gender, they transcend culture because they're so transforming. Peter knew this man, knew, knew Jesus in person. He walked with him. He watched him heal people. Peter listened as Jesus received insult after insult and accusation after accusation as he was marginalized by the religious elite. He was even marginalized by his own family, his mother and his brothers. And Peter watched this. And he watched Jesus walk those lines. Peter saw and felt personally uh, Jesus compassion and mercy. Peter knew his rebuke. 
Peter also was a recipient of Jesus restoring grace. His words. Peter listened from the shadows as the Romans slandered Jesus publicly. Falsely accused him of treason. By the way, Jesus is still alive. You know, this is our conviction. If you're here today, you're a guest. You need to know that we do happen to believe that Jesus isn't dead. He's risen. He's alive. And he's still receiving false accusations and slanders. He's still. He's still getting this from, um, from the world, from people who don't believe, people who are so threatened by him and by what he's calling people to that, they, that that's what they resort to. They, they result to false accusations and slanderous things. It's, it's all over. It's everywhere. And, and Peter speaking to this. Peter remembered Jesus um, touching a leper. I've never touched a leper. I've never touched really anyone that is, is so diseased like that. But Jesus did. And Peter remembers that. Peter, Peter watched as Jesus spoke with gentleness and mercy to an adulterous woman. A lot of Christians don't, don't have that attitude towards people who have that struggle. But Peter remembers vividly Jesus touching the writhing, demon-possessed boy, scarred from burns, having fallen repeatedly into the fire because of seizures. Peter was there. He saw that. Peter remembered Jesus forgiving the blind man. Peter remembered Jesus going without retaliation in chains, taken away in the garden. Never said a word. Peter remembers Jesus before Pilate. Perfect opportunity for Jesus to just proclaim his name and state his case and defend his cause. And the scripture says he didn't say a word. Peter remembers that. So Peter, at this time, is talking to Christians who, yes, are facing struggles. They're facing discouragement. They're, they're, they're in the press. They're feeling like aliens. They, they're feeling like they don't fit in. In fact, they're being marginalized more and more because of their allegiance to Jesus. And Peter has something to say to people in those contexts, in the culture that runs so foreign to everything Jesus is calling them to. Because he remembers. He was there. He was so apprehended by this man and his powerful words. Now, in this context, in chapter 2, he, he's talking about some various opportunities for Christians in that setting to kind of rise above all that and have an impact. He says in verse 11, he says, listen, of chapter 2, dear friends, I warn you, you're temporary residents and foreigners. This is not all there is. This is a temporary experience, but I have a warning for you. Because you're aliens, because you are not citizens of this planet, ultimately, you are in Christ. You are, you are otherworldly. You are citizens of heaven. You belong to Jesus Christ. So I warn you, while you're here, you need, to, you need to stay away. Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. This was a spiritual concern, first and foremost. Peter said, listen, you are here on this planet. You are not of this planet. You have been called away. You have been transformed by the powerful living Jesus Christ. But while you're here, you need to guard yourself against these threats that are a part of the human experience. And they wage war against your souls. Not your body, your souls. And they are fleshly, they are evil, they are insidious desires 
that can take you out. And he says, listen, you need, to, you need to stay away from those things. Be careful, he says in verse 12, to live properly. That is to say, wisely and above the fray among your unbelieving neighbors. People around you who don't share your worldview. Who, who do not understand why it is you, 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 you say what you say and you live the way you live and you have the priorities that you have and you're investing the way you're investing. People who do not get it. They don't get your faith. They do not get your, your religion. They do not get your relationship to Jesus Christ. You need to make sure that you live above. You take the high ground around these people and live your lives in such a way that your life will not be a distraction to those people who are looking at you. Live a good life. Be the best you in the power of Christ. That's the exhortation, especially when you're feeling the press of being marginalized because of culture. Then, it says, if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will be faced with your honorable behavior. They will be mounting evidence of your life that will contradict that. And ultimately, listen, this is the vision. They will give honor to God, maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not five years from now, but someday they're going to give honor to God <laughs> when he comes, when he judges the world and everything is revealed and then a light is going to go on and they're going to go, you know what, I remember that guy that lived next to us? I remember that student. He just He was so exemplary in his attitude. Because of his relationship to Jesus. I remember at that time when everything's coming, when everything is on display because God judges the world, that's when they're going to give glory and honor to him. But we so live for the moment. Peter is saying, listen, I know it's hard now. Live for that moment. That's the vision. And so respect, verse 13. Respect human authority. Don't buck it. Whether the king is the head of state or in a governor, official that has been appointed. And we don't have kings. <laughs> we have people that act like kings. They think they're kings. They're above the law. You know, that's kind of, we're dealing with some of that right now in our own political process. I mean, you know, the law is the law. You're going to abide by the law, you're not going to abide by the law. You've got people that act like kings, they get in positions of authority. We don't have kings. But this is what Peter says. Listen. Here's, here's your responsibility. This is the vision if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Live respectfully under the authority of those individuals that are above you. Don't, don't be a rebel rouser. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't be a retractor. Be a humble servant living respectfully of people who are in authority over you. For students, this is, these are your teachers. These are the people that are your, are, are, are your overseers of your education. Maybe it's in your home. It's your parents. Maybe it's in the public schools. Maybe it's in the college and university settings. Th these are the people that are in authority over you, trying to help tool you and skill you and, 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 and get you ready for life as an adult. Here's your attitude. If you are a Christian teenager, a Christian young person, within the sound of my voice or in the reading of God's word this morning, your responsibility before God as a follower of Jesus Christ is to respect the authority of those who are over you. Not to be dismissive, not to be arrogant, not to be careless, but to be the best. 
Because someday, you see, someday, someday they're going to glorify God when they remember you. It's having a different attitude. Verse 15, it's, it's God's will, listen, that you honor, you, that you, God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. You're free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Boy, don't, don't, don't put your employer, for instance, in a spot because of your zeal to be a Christian. Just don't do that. You're free. Be the best employer you, employee you can possibly be in that context. Honor him, honor her, support him, support her. Even if they're wrong, even if they're doing things that maybe just, just be there, be a follower of Christ and take that opportunity to, to live above that fray, you see, because someday, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not five years from now, maybe not after you retire, but someday, you see, when God comes to judge the earth, they will glorify him because of you. They're not going, oh man, that guy was always such a pain in my side. He always just made things hard for me. Always trying to do his run. No, they're going to go, wow, now I get it. Now I see it. There's power in that. We need to remember that. You need to remember that. I need to remember that. Now listen, this is... A little bizarre because now he starts to talk about slaves. And we don't have slaves. It hasn't been long since we've had slavery in this nation. But we, do, we don't anymore to a certain degree. At least, at least not legalized slavery. But he's talking to slaves. In that culture there were people that actually owned other people. And some of them were Christians. They were followers of Christ. They'd been apprehended by the same risen Jesus that Peter had been apprehended by. And, and they were in a context of suffering. Because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. But they also happen to be property of their owners. If you can imagine that. Peter says, listen, your responsibility is, is to not be a terrible slave. Your, your responsibility is to be, be submissive, submissive and honorable in that setting somehow. So you have an opportunity, you see, to give witness to Christ. I don't understand this. I don't. I just don't understand it. But it's what God says. This is the way. This is the way to live right before people who don't understand what we're talking about, who just have no context, no concept of what it means to spend your life for Christ. God is pleased, he says. Verse 19, with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. God is pleased with that. Of course you get no credit for being patient if you're, uh, you, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. I mean, it's your own darn fault if, <laughs> if you get on the wrong side of the law. <laughs> you're just an absolute character and, you know, you're going to pay a price. You don't get credit for that in God's eyes. You're going to get credit when you suffer because you're following after him. That's what's good. That's what he's saying. God is pleased with you, you see. That, that's the virtue. That, that's... That's the exhortation. Now look, here's the model. God called you to do good, verse 21. Even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. Listen, this is what Peter is saying. To this you were called. If you are a follower after Jesus Christ here this morning, if you have surrendered your whole life, everything you are, 
to Jesus Christ. If someone asks you, what do you believe? And you say, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. Peter says, this is what you've been called to. And now he's going to fill it in. To this you were called. And he's going to give the example of Jesus. Look what he says. (laughs) He never sinned. Well, I'm already off the list. Big time. I'm already off the list. But I'm still called. I'm still called not to sin. Nor did he ever deceive anyone. Okay, this is going to get a whole lot more convicting before it ever gets any better. So just hang in there, okay? Jesus had a meticulously honest spirit when it came to people, to his relationships with people. There was not a manipulating cell in his body. No deceit in his words, in his motives, in his actions. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Insult after insult was met with complete reserve and silence. A revengeless spirit, having suffered enormous injustice, To this you have been called. This is your calling, Christian. Not to return insult for insult. Not to retaliate. Not to seek revenge. To this you have been called. Um, he, 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 He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He just stood down. He he just left it to God. Uh, I'm so far off this list by now. Listen, it's just not even, it's, it's just, it's not even funny. But this is Jesus. To this I have been called. To this you have been called. Let him judge. Let him act rather than trying to prove something or, or make someone pay or bring about justice for yourself. Because you're so convinced you're right. He, he, he was right. He was perfectly right. But yet... He, he left it and trusted it to God. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. This is total sacrifice. His whole self for us, for our sins. He personally, Peter says, carried our sins, the burden of it, uh, in his body, literally his physical body, took that, the brunt of my sin, of your sin. He did that. To this you have been called. That kind of sacrifice, that kind of commitment, you've been called to that. I've been called. Listen, I'm not making this up. This is Peter saying this. Even if you are feeling like an alien and you're feeling the press and the marginalization of following after Christ, to this you have been called. Jesus is the example. He did it. So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. You will be wounded. You will be wounded because it's through wounds, through brokenness, that healing can occur. To this you have been called. 
You have not been called to a comfortable life. You have not. You have not been called to a cost-free, easy experience as a follower of Jesus Christ. You have not been called to the American dream. You have not. To this you have been called. You have been called to lose, not to win. To die, not to live. To serve, not to lead. Now, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. he's, He's done all of this for you. And this, this is the context. This is the great backdrop. This is all the forward... Um, kind of vision that is for us before we ever get into this, this section about what it means to be a godly husband and a godly, a, a godly wife. That's the context. To this you have been called. He's the model. Okay. Now, There's no white space in Peter's mind. There's no change of chapters here. He just goes on to say, in the same way. In the same way. Wives. And then in verse 7, he says, in the same way. Look at it. In the same way, you husbands. What same way? The way he just described. The way of Jesus. The way of surrender. The way of self-sacrifice. The way of not retaliating. The way of not manipulating with words or with motives or with feelings. In the same way, wives, husbands. That's the context. It's the way of Jesus. And it's vastly different than anything else you will ever gather or hear or receive from anything else around you except from Jesus. In the same way, wives. Now, quite specifically, although there's broad application here, but quite specifically in this passage, Peter is talking to women who are married to men. (laughs) Wives. Do we need to say this? Of course, unfortunately we do. In the mind in favor of God, wives are female. Married to men. In the same way of Jesus, in the same way he denied himself in every way possible, in the same way that Jesus lived an exemplary, non-manipulating life, not manipulating people but inspiring them, In the same way Jesus received insults and painful words against him, but did not retaliate, but bore the horrible offenses that were committed against him. In the same way, wives, give yourselves to your husbands. Accept the authority of your husbands. This is a life of submission to him. That's the context. Because this is what you have been called to do. Now can I say a a, a word specifically to ladies who humbly and quietly are living with a man, married to a man. 
who for whatever reason has determined and decided not to honor the Lord, just simply does not share her convictions and faith. I, I cannot fully understand or explain why you are in that crucible of struggle. I cannot. But Peter says, God says to you through this Peter, in the same way, stay at it. In reverence, humility and submission to him, no matter what. Because there's a vision here. You, you are a vivid example to him of the way of Jesus. And it's possible, Peter says, it's possible, the vision is that somehow in the context of that, in the context of you following after Christ in a spirit of gentleness and, and quietness, that, that, that he could come to know God. Somehow he would be won over by, by observing your purity and your reverence in your life. That's the vision. That's the way of Jesus. Purity is holiness. Reverence is worship. And it's on vivid display in the context of a, a relationship between a married man and a married woman. Purity and worship in marriage. You see, so stay at it. Hang in there. That's the context. of submission and accepting the authority of your husband. It's the way of Jesus. And it's powerful. Now, he goes on to say, um, don't be concerned about outward beauty. <laughs> now, easy for Peter. He's a man, right? Easy for him to say, don't be concerned about it. Look what he said. Listen, don't be concerned about the outward beauty, outward appearances. This is especially for gals, of course, women. But married women, don't be so concerned about outward beauty, fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. What is this culture in which we live all about? Guess what? Fancy hairstyle, expensive jewelry, and beautiful clothes. It's all about exteriors. It's all about the outward appearances. Everywhere you go, and it starts so young. Our young gals, our, our, our preteens and our teenage gals, they're just, they're just blasted by this from the moment they can begin to reason and think and receive all this. It's all about what I look like. It's all about my hair. It's all about being made presentable and beautiful, and it's such a false false standard. You see, Peter said, that's not the way of Jesus. Here's what you need to do. Listen, especially wives, he's talking to wives, but this is for all gals who are following after Christ. Focus on inner beauty. Focus on what's within. Go there. Spend more time looking into the mirror of God's word and letting him speak to your heart and your soul than, than the literal mirror. <laughs> focus on inner beauty. Focus on, on what he's going to talk about here in just a few, in a little bit of gentleness and a quiet spirit. Cultivate that, godliness. 
Those are the things that honor God. And those are the things that can, that can win a man's heart. They're, so, they're precious to God. You should clothe yourselves, he said, instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Do you know that if you are beautiful inside, if you cultivate beauty inside, if, if you let God do a work and, and cause beauty in your, in your heart and in your spirit and in the attitudes of your soul, that is an unfading beauty. It will never fade. Never fade. And it's, and it's gentle. It's a gentle, quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Cultivate a desire and a spirit, the spirit of Jesus. I talked to Paul Acey this morning, about 6 o'clock this morning. We caught each other on the phone. He's in Florida he was scheduled to run a triathlon or to, to participate in a triathlon in Florida. Can you imagine Florida right now? Have you all watched the news? The storm, the storm of the century is about to hit Florida. Here's Paul Ace. He's going to swim in the ocean. <laughs> Love this man. But for safety reasons, obviously, they canceled the swimming leg of this triathlon. And so I was talking to Paul. I said, man, what's it like down there? He said, man, it's crazy, the ocean. I've never seen it like this before. It's intense. He said, Thursday. Thursday, and then he used the word. He said it was tranquil. It was like glass. You've all seen that, right? You go out onto the beach early in the morning or to a lake, kind of go down the path. Everybody else is conked out, still asleep in the house. You go down, and the, and the lake, it's just, it's tranquil. There's, not even, there's no motion. It looks like you could skate across it like ice. It's, it's tranquil. That's the, that's the word Paul used. On Thursday, that's what the ocean looked like. Guess what? That's the word. Listen, gals. Young gals, teenage gals, college-age gals, married gals especially, cultivate that. A tranquil spirit. Tranquil. The opposite of that is <laughs> waves. <laughs> you can be that too, right? Every time the guy comes in the house, it's like... He gets hit with this roller, you know, this wave, this rogue wave. It's just always waves. That, that can be his experience. <laughs> You're laughing because like, oh, that sounded like yesterday. <laughs> just wave after wave. You know, just the guy just he, he thinks everything's fine. You know, all of a sudden he opens the door and another wave. Just bang, knocks him down. I mean, come on, you got, you got needs. You're working hard. You, you ought to, you ought to, the guy ought to get his senses knocked out of him every once in a while. It's only right. It's not the way of Jesus. I was talking to the gals. It's not the way of Jesus. You may have a strong temptation. He, he may deserve every, every, every ounce of that wave. It's just not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is, is a gentle, tranquil spirit. Cultivate that. Cultivate that. Oh, there's virtue, there's power there, you see. In the same way, 
Holy women of the past, Peter says. He brings up a file. I'd love to do a study of holy women of the past. He, he just calls out one. It's Sarah. It's Abraham's wife. Abraham, by the way, was, was no saint, not the whole time anyway. And this particular spot that Peter pulls out, this is, this is a little bizarre because this was, not a, this was not a high moment in Abraham's spiritual leadership kind of category. When he put, he put Sarah in a pretty awkward spot, when, when he was afraid of losing his own neck, he said, hey, you know, Sarah, pretend that you're my sister. Just, just for the moment. You know, I know we're not supposed to lie, but just, you know, I don't know. let's just pretend you're my just let's do this and everything will be cool because, you know, if you find out you're my wife, we're going to be deep weeds. <laughs> so what did Sarah do? Listen, I don't understand all this. I'm not trying to explain. I'm just trying to say this is what has happened. Sarah says, okay, I'll do it. Peter lifts that story out somehow in the sovereign mind of God and he holds it up as an example of a woman in a house married to a man, not a perfect man, not a perfect man, but a man in journey and in relationship with Almighty God. And she said, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. I'll do that. Wait a minute now, isn't this the 20th century? Aren't we in a postmodern culture? I mean, don't, don't gals have rights? Don't they have rights to their own bodies and their own minds? And aren't they, don't, you know, what, what are they supposed to do? Just check all that at the door and just kind of, what is this? What is this? What is this? Because this is the way of Jesus. It's a life, it's a submissive spirit. That holds on to a, to a deferred result. Glory to God. This is what the Lord has called you to. Entrusting everything to him. Just leave it to him. Entrust it to him. Husbands. Verse 7. In the same way, there it is. Okay, guys, I'm, a, I'm on a little firmer ground because I are one, okay? So I feel like I can just go here a little more. Husbands, you husbands, in the same way, must give honor to your wives. The same way as Jesus. This is what you were called to do. This is what I've been called to do. Committing no sin, not deceitful in words, not retaliating, not getting argumentative when insulted, not threatening revenge. In the same way... Be considerate. Live in a manner that is worthy and gracious with this individual that God has given to you as your wife. In the same way that he lived so sacrificially, you live with her. She's not perfect either. But you leave that to the Lord. Hey, sometimes you might really believe. Remember, remember Adam, when God called him in the garden, and they had, they, they had really blown it, you know, don't eat the fruit. And, you know, Eve kind of got caught up there with the serpent. <laughs> serpent kind of tricked her. 
and beguiled her, and she took the fruit, and it just all went bad from there. That's a paraphrase, but just to kind of get on with the story. And, and the next day, Adam and Eve, they're, they're in their shame. They're in their nakedness. They're, they're feeling the, the brokenness of having broken covenant with God. And the scripture says that they heard God coming in the garden. They heard him coming. So they knew. They knew they were going to have to give an account. And so they hid. They hid. It's all about hiding. You see, when we don't go God's way, we're always, there's always a, a layer of hiding something from God when we're not following his way. And so they're hiding and God says, Adam, calls him by name. Adam, he finds him. What's going on? What's, what, what's, what's the deal? Well, where we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, because we don't have any clothes on. We're naked. And God's like, what? What? Well, we're naked. We're, we're embarrassed. Well, who told you you were naked? Where did that come from? How did this happen? Did you eat of the tree? And Adam's like, well, I didn't, but the woman you gave me, <laughs> she did it. Well, that just wells up in you, doesn't it, if you're a husband sometimes? Lord, I could do this. I could really be on this. I could be, I could be following after you, but the woman you gave me is out of control. But man, I could, I could be the best husband on the planet. I, I could be considerate and gracious to her. You know, I could be, I could be uh, Jim Dobson's father of the year, but the woman you gave me, she can't get her act together. See, it's all about, that's the idea. That's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus, men, husbands. This is for me, too. It's especially for me. It's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is regardless, regardless, live with her with a remarkable degree of consideration and grace and understanding and humility and provision and sacrificial love. And then entrust it like Jesus. Everything else, entrust it to him. This is what you've been called to. Husbands, be considerate. That means think ahead every once in a while. Be deliberately thoughtful and resourceful on her behalf. As you live with your wives. By the way, men, young men, 